Welcome to First Church on this second uh, Sunday in Advent. Special greetings also to those listening on the radio. There's a lot going on in our church, especially as we prepare for the coming of Christ and the Advent season. Please look over the announcements and activities in the bulletin. A few items to highlight. The poinsettias back in the Heritage Room uh, were purchased by the Women's Christian Outreach Group. And therefore, some of the shut-ins and, and those that can't get out very well. And if you could help with delivering those, there's a list in the back, on the back page, of, of those individuals that those are uh, designated for. If, uh, if you know somebody or are able to, to bring some of those poinsettias over to them uh, and help deliver those, that would be appreciated. The giving tree is up in the back of the sanctuary and supports the Elizabeth New Life Pregnancy Center. Um, a few items as we approach the Christmas programs that's coming up. The children's Christmas program is in two weeks and begins at 10.15. There will be no Sunday school that day. Christmas Eve candlelight service starts at 7.30 this year. There will be music starting at 7 o'clock. Invite your friends, neighbors, and family to come and enjoy that special evening. Uh, we will have service that Sunday morning at 9 o'clock as usual. <clears throat> Would you please rise and join me for the call to worship? Show us your unfailing love, O God, our Savior. And grant us your salvation. Listen to what the Lord our God says. He promises peace to his people who are his beloved saints. The Lord will indeed give what is good. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. May the Lord make his holy face to shine upon us in this time of Advent worship. When we see God's face and so know peace. Amen. Now let us sing hymn number 155, Once in Royal David City.
seated. Would Pastor Joel, his wife Allie, and little girl Josephine please come forward for the lighting of our second Advent candle this morning. We gather around the Advent wreath today knowing that we are not perfect, that we all make mistakes and do bad things. Only Jesus obeyed God fully. Jesus helps us to live as God wants us to live. Jesus, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is peace, for Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Christ's name is also Emmanuel, God with us. John 14:27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you that through all the years you have given peace to your people. Help us have your peace in our lives in this Advent season. We pray that you will help us shine the light of your presence to those around us so that, we may, so that they may also have peace. Amen. And now we'll have our children's chat. And while they're coming up, please greet those around you. Good morning. Wow. That was pretty weak. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. All right. All right. So we are in a special season in the church. Does anybody remember what we call that season? John? Advent. Very good. And if you were paying attention, Pastor Joel and Allie lit the Advent candle. How many candles do we have lit? Two. How many candles do we have left to light? Two or three, if th- three if you're counting the one in the middle, huh? Yes. So we are preparing for Christmas. What do you do at your house to get ready for Christmas? Set up your tree. Set up your Christmas tree. What else do you do at your house to get ready for Christmas? Get ready for the elf. Get ready for the elf. <laughs> okay. You know, I found something on a side note. It's called the star from afar. And it's the same concept as the elf, but it comes from a Christian perspective. And it's pretty cool. <laughs> Back, oh, that was the end of my commercial. We'll move on. Um, so we're getting ready for Christmas. Does mom ever say, hand you this and say, go clean? No. You don't get ready for Christmas by cleaning? Well, don't tell my kids, okay, because we have a lot of cleaning. Do you help mom clean? Do you? Awesome. You know, in the Bible, they're talking about how we need to prepare and get ready for Christmas. And um, 
About the time John the Baptist came and began preaching in the desert in the area of Judah, John said, change your hearts and live because the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. John the Baptist is the one Isaiah the prophet is talking, was talking about. Isaiah said, this is the voice of a man who calls out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make the road straight for him. So there were lots of people in the Bible that were preparing and getting ready for the Messiah. And they did that in all different kinds of ways. Mary and Martha, as they were cleaning and cleaning when Jesus was around, were preparing. And we need to prepare. But is God and Jesus, are they really worried about how clean our house is? Uh, no. Right, John. They're not. Mom might be. But... What does God want us to prepare? Yeah, but what what part of us do we need to prepare for his coming? Our heart. That's right. We need to clean out our heart and get ready to to remember Jesus's birthday and and be ready to welcome him into our heart. Okay? So Even though mom might hand you the dusting cloth and the cleaner, We still need to get our house ready, but we really need to make sure that we have our heart ready for when Jesus comes. Okay, when we celebrate Jesus' birthday. All right, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Advent and this time of preparing and getting ready for Jesus' birth. Be with us this week. Help us to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. Thanks, Maria. What a great reminder that we need to prepare our hearts. This time of year is, can be such a distraction sometimes with family and get-togethers and presents and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but what a great reminder that, that we need to remember to prepare our own hearts and our own minds for what this season really is about. And that's celebrating uh, the birth of Christ and ultimately what he did for us on the cross. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for the chance to to come here this morning and to worship you and to be reminded of what this time of year is all about. Uh, We can be so distracted. Uh, It can be, it can be a burden on us at times to, with everything that's going on. Uh, But Lord, help us to focus on you. Help us that to, to be reminded of what this season is really all about. As we gather with family and friends, as we spend time together and celebrating those things, help us to be reminded of, of what we are celebrating and that is your birth, uh, the, the Emmanuel, God with us, coming to this world uh, to save this world. Uh, thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for that reminder uh, this time of year. And I pray that we'd be able to keep that as the, the focus each and every day. Uh, Lord, we are reminded also of the many concerns that are listed before us, the names that are on the list here, and others that may not be on the list, Lord, that we know of that are facing difficult times this time of year, whether it's uh, health issues or financial or, or other things, Lord, that may be going on. Um, we don't know, but you do. Uh, and we trust that you know exactly what's going on and what it is each person and each family needs. And so I pray that you would be with them. I pray that you would uh, heal those who, who need healing. I pray you'd provide those who are in need, provide for those who are in need. And ultimately, Lord, that your will would be done in each of these situations. Lord, we trust that you know what's best for us and pray that you would uh, make that happen in our lives. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time as the choir sings, uh, Surely the Time is Near.
Thank you, Father, for the many gifts that you've given us, and, and pray. thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give back to you in this way. I pray you bless this offering to further the work of your kingdom in this church and this community. In Christ we pray. Amen. I invite you to remain standing, and let's sing together number 148, O Holy Night.
Amen. You may be seated. Today we're continuing on in our Advent series. Last week we uh, looked at the topic of hope and the hope that Christ brings and the hope that we're reminded of this time of year when we celebrate his birth. And today we're going to continue that theme and, and look at peace and peace that God brings through his son Jesus Christ. In the coming weeks we'll look at joy and love as we prepare to celebrate Christmas and celebrate that, that birth of Christ. Uh, peace is a topic that we've that's come up a few times for us recently as we recently preached through the book of Philippians. Uh, peace and contentment in the Lord was a, a common theme, one that we saw pop up over and over again. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we preached from this passage in Philippians chapter four, verses four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the peace that we were talking about a few weeks ago was the peace that God supplies to those who know Him, who have put their trust in Him. Uh, it's a peace of, of confidence in God, that He is with us no matter what we face in this life. It's this inner sense of contentment that can come only from Him. Uh, and it's not based on our outward circumstances. And so that's the, the peace that we talked about. It's peace that we can have because of our relationship with Christ. Uh, peace that we can have in, in any and every situation. I uh, just want to remind you of, of something I mentioned in that sermon. And I'm sure you all take copious notes and quote me verbatim. And so this is probably nothing new to you. But just as a reminder for those that may have forgotten, uh, I said, as Christians, we can have the peace of God in any and every situation because we have peace with God. And so what we were talking about when we were working through Philippians is the peace of God, the peace that we can have as we go through this life and, and face the many trials and hardships. But today what I want to do is focus, instead of just going back and hitting that point again, I want to talk about the last part of that statement. We can have peace of God in any and every situation because we can have because we have peace with God. And that's what I want to focus on, that idea of having peace with God. Because that's the foundation behind any other sort of peace that we may have in this life. And it's the peace that God brings to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So your ultimate hope is peace with God. We talked last week about how God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in His birth and His life and ultimately His death and resurrection. Our hope is, is in that. But what does that mean? What is our hope? What is the hope that we have? It's that through His life, death, and resurrection, we would have peace with God. That we are, our, our sins would no longer be counted against us. That we would no longer be, be seen as guilty in the eyes of the Lord, but would have the peace that comes with His righteousness and His forgiveness. But Jesus gives us a different kind of peace than the world offers to us. One of the Scripture passages you already heard read when we lit the, lit the Advent candle was John fourteen twenty seven. This is part of what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse. It's this large uh, section of teaching in John where Jesus is teaching right to His disciples, those who have committed their lives to Him, those who have trusted in Him and, and gave up so much to follow Him. Jesus taught them uh, right before his death uh, and resurrection. 
And in John 14, 27, again, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that comes when we have peace with God is so much different than, than what the world offers. See in the Old Testament that the false prophets, those who, who will claim to speak for God, would often claim that there was peace when there was no peace. You see them, especially in the book of Jeremiah, these these people who claim to be speaking for God. And, and even though the Babylonians are on the doorstep, right, about to overthrow Jerusalem, about to send the people into exile, they claimed that there was peace. There was nothing to worry about. No need to be concerned about the future because according to them, God was pleased with them, even though they had turned their back on him. And so in the Old Testament, we see this, this uh, movement of, of people, these false prophets claiming that we had peace even though there was no peace. And we see that today in our world too, don't we? People that claim that it's okay, don't worry, it doesn't matter how you live your life, it doesn't matter what God you worship, you don't even have to worship a God, just live the best life you can and it'll all be alright in the end. It's this sense of false peace that, that the world tries to pass off as real peace. That as long as you're happy, as long as you're pleasing yourself and doing what you want to do, you'll be fine. And we see that over and over and over again. But that's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. In Jesus' own day, there was a different kind of peace that was popular. It was the Pax Romana, which is Latin for the Roman peace. Uh, and this was peace by force. Uh, the Roman Empire had peace. It was one of the most peaceful times in, in, in human history, in a sense. It's, and it's because the Roman Empire got rid of anybody who was disrupting that peace. Right? It, it had, the Roman peace was a peace through force. It was a peace because they had crushed all opposition and anything that was in their way and simply just gotten rid of those who caused trouble. But that in itself is not true peace. It's, that peace is just the absence of conflict because they had steamrolled their way through the known world. But that, the peace that Jesus is talking about is not that kind of peace either. The peace that Jesus offers us, the peace that he won for us on the cross is, was peace with God, our creator. Peace, the peace of knowing him and knowing and experiencing his forgiveness. See, without Jesus, we don't have peace. Without what he's done for us, we can't have peace with God. It's because our sin separates us from God and prevents us from experiencing that sort of peace with him. See, in the beginning, when God created the world, he created it perfect, right? With Adam and Eve, he created it without sin. And it was, uh, it was such a, a harmonious relationship between God and his creation, God and his people. You know, I can't imagine what it was like to be Adam or Eve, just walking through the garden. Uh, the, there's this passage in the Bible, and if, if you're not careful, you almost miss it, that talks about how God was walking through the, the garden in the cool of the day. And it's the sense that that's just something that God did with his people. That sort of intimate relationship that God had. But unfortunately, we don't experience that today to the fullest because of our sin. And, and sin is just whatever has gotten in the way of our relationship with God. I'm going to borrow your music stand. You don't, you mind? Go right ahead. Just imagine, I use this uh, analogy in, in confirmation this week, the students. Uh, Imagine, you know, this music stand represents God. Not the best visual representation, but uh, just, you know, let me go with this one for today. Uh, when God and Adam and Eve were in the garden, before sin entered the world, their relationship was, was perfect. They were together. There was nothing that separated Adam and Eve from God. 
You know, they were just walking side by side through the garden, much like I'm standing next to the music stand. This isn't the best analogy, I guess, in the world. But um, they were together, right? There was nothing that came between them. But once sin entered the world, once they chose to uh, rebel against God, chose to uh, run their lives on their own, it created a separation. And there was no longer that intimate, real close relationship. Now there was this gap between them, and that gap is, is sin, and when we sin, we're, we're, we're building this wall, we're building this gap, and, and something needs to be done to overcome that. And so now here we are on this side of the stage, right? And there's a separation between us and God. And when we're separated from him, we don't have peace because we're not experiencing his forgiveness. The only true peace is from the Lord, from having that relationship with him and having that confidence and knowing that our sin, that stuff that separated us from him, is forgiven. And so what is sin? What, is that, what does that mean when we talk about sin? Uh, it's, it's a word that we don't necessarily like to talk about today, right? We don't like to, to throw that word around. It's, it's kind of taboo to talk about. But sin is, is anything, in a sense, that separates us from God. Anything that gets in the way of our relationship with him. In Psalm 51, this great passage of where David uh, confesses his sin to God after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, the prophet Nathan confronts David, and, and David writes this, this beautiful psalm of, of confession and repentance and asking God for forgiveness. And he uses three different words for sin in this passage. And they give us a different understanding, and, and together they kind of give us a better picture of what sin is all about. Uh, the first word he uses has a sense of, of sin being rebellion, that we are, we are no longer uh, living in allegiance to the one that, we, uh, that should be Lord of our lives. You know, this, it's, it's maybe a foreign concept to us who live in a democracy and don't have any sort of sense of, of what it truly means to live under a king or queen or something like that. Uh, but, but when God created us, he was, he was our king, right? When we're in relationship with him, uh, like Adam and Eve were, uh, they were under his rule and under his authority. And when they chose to sin, when they chose to eat that fruit from the tree, they were deciding to no longer live by his rules. They decided to live by their own. And that's really, in a nutshell, what sin is all about. We're deciding for ourselves what's best. We're deciding that we know what's good for us and that God doesn't really, doesn't really get it. So sin, in a sense, is rebellion against what God desires for us and the, the way that he has ordered our lives. But that's not, you know, in a sense, that doesn't get the whole picture either. Uh, the, another word that David uses for sin in Psalm 51 is the idea that, that our heart is, is twisted. It's a word that talks about our motivations. So in other words, sin is, is even doing the right things for the wrong reasons. It's more of a matter of the heart. So sin isn't just about messing up in a, in, a, in a list of rules that God gave us. It's about the motivation, why we do what we do. And, and so when we even do the right things for the wrong reasons, that can be sinful as well because our motivation isn't there. Instead of serving others for the benefit of seeing them uh, be served and seeing them benefit from that, uh, instead of worshiping God because of who he is and, and that he deserves our worship and the glory, we do it for our own benefit. We come on Sunday mornings to see other people and socialize instead of worshiping God. Right? It's good that you're here. It's good that you're here to worship. But if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, that in itself can be sinful. But that in itself doesn't give us the full picture. So sin, in a sense, is rebellion. It's, it's choosing to live on our own set of rules instead of God. It's, 
it's having a twisted sense of motive, a twisted heart. Our heart itself is corrupt. And, and so even when we do the right things, we often do them for the wrong reasons. And then David uses a third word that is much more uh, easy to understand, I would say. And it's simply that of missing the mark. It's actually an archery term. You know, so an archer may try his hardest to hit the bullseye every time, but there's going to be moments when that arrow just doesn't land where you want it to. And so sin is sometimes when we're trying our hardest. We have the right motivations. We have the right ideas. We're trying to live as God wants us to live, but we still sometimes just mess up. Right? We still fall short and we don't do what God wants us to do. We just simply miss the mark. We don't hit the bullseye. And so when you look at all three of those together, I think it gives us a pretty... Uh, maybe still somewhat incomplete, but a pretty good idea of what sin is, what it is that separates us from God. And it's, and it's when we rebel against him. It's when we choose not to live as he desires for us to live. It's, it's when we uh, recognize that our hearts are, themselves are twisted, our motivation is wrong. And it's simply when we make mistakes, when we, when we don't live up to what God uh, desires for us. And as we'll see, you know, you may, you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's great, you know. Other people have those problems, but I don't. Right? Other people have those issues with sin, but that's not me. Uh, but we see in Scripture clearly taught that, that this applies to all of us. None of us are exempt, myself included. Right? The greatest people that ever lived, you think of Abraham and Moses and David, Jesus' disciples, Paul himself, We've all sinned. Romans 3.23 right, says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, none of us are exempt from this sin that separates us from him. Something that we all experience, that we all face. Um, and if we, just, if we pretend like we don't sin, we're fooling ourselves, First John says. If we claim to be without sin, we make God out to be a liar. But it's something that affects each and every one of us. And so I think to understand the significance of this Isaiah 9 passage that we're looking at, we looked at the first part last week, we're looking at the second part of it this week, to truly understand the significance of this passage, we need to understand this idea of sin and separating it from God and understand that, uh, under, also understand uh, the moment of Israel's history that this prophecy was spoken into. See, Israel had a long history. Uh, we read about it through the course of the Old Testament you know, we think of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then they went into, uh, ended up in Egypt. And, and some 400 years later, Moses led God's people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And, and they received the law, and, and eventually they found their way into the promised land. God led them there. And over the next several hundred years, they were ruled by this cycle of judges, these people that God would raise up to re- rescue his people from, from their enemies or from disaster. And so over the course of several hundred years, these judges would, would rise up, there'd be peace, and then they'd go back to their own, the, the people of God would go back to following their own ways, and then hardship would come upon them again. Well, eventually the people got sick of that. They got sick of this temporary cycle of leaders, and they wanted something more permanent, something more like the other nations around them, and they wanted a king. They wanted someone to rule over them, someone to take charge, so that they didn't have to keep going through the same cycle over and over again. But unfortunately, the kings never lived up to the expectation. Right? These kings that Israel had, some were good, but a good majority of them were just bad kings. <laughs> they were just not good rulers. And they often would lead the people astray and lead the people further away from God instead of toward God. 
They would lead them to worshiping other gods and other idols and living in sin. And so God would send his messengers, his prophets, uh, like Isaiah, um, that one day God would establish his kingdom and his king on David's throne, and that person would rule forever. All the sin and idolatry that had separated the people from God would be removed, and they would live in perfect peace with God and with each other. See, if you think back to this horrible music stand analogy, right? The, the, God, the people that of uh, Israel, they just kept walking further and further away from God. They kept stepping away from him. Sometimes they'd step back a little closer. Um, sometimes there were good moments. But overall, they just kept going further and further away from God. And God was trying to call them back. God was trying to get them to, to restore that relationship. And that's why he was sending those messengers and those prophets in order to do that. But ultimately, God's people just kept turning away. And so something even greater needed to be done. They didn't need just a human king. They needed the Messiah. They needed the Christ to come and to be the king. And so without Jesus, without what he's done for us, there is no peace because we remain separated from God. But because of Jesus, because of what he's done for us, we can know peace. How would God restore the nation of Israel? How will he save his people from their sin that separates them from God? It's by sending his king to rule. And this wouldn't be just any king. This wouldn't be like those kings that they had before. Right? Even the best of those kings, like David or Solomon or Hezekiah, they often made mistakes. They did things that, that were not in line with God's will. And ultimately, even the best of them, they didn't live forever, right? Eventually, they would be gone and a new king would take their place. And often that new king would reverse even the best of what the previous king had done. And so this new king couldn't just be like those old ones. He couldn't be just a mere human because even the best humans fall short of God's expectations and won't live forever. Right? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this king would need to be the Messiah, God's appointed Savior. And so as we look at Isaiah chapter 9 uh, in these two verses, 6 and 7, we get a picture and a glimpse of what this king will be like. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, names often... Uh, describe someone's character. You know, we don't often, you know, think of that today. You know, we just pick a name because it sounds good, right? Uh, or it's popular. But in that day, so many names had meaning. And they were a description of who that person was. And, and God would sometimes give people new names because God had transformed them and, and sent them in a new direction. You think of Abram and Abraham, Jacob and Israel. Those names were significant because they described a change in their character. Well, this passage gives four names to this, this child king that would be born. And so we can learn about what this king will be like by looking at those names. Wonderful counselor. See, this person, this king would be wiser than, than any person that ever lived. Just simply by mere human standards. This Messiah, this king would be even greater than Solomon. And he will re- rule perfectly. 
See, the, this word wonderful, we, it, we lose some of its flavor the way we use it today. But in, in that time, wonderful didn't just describe something that was just really good, but it was something that was miraculous, that was just beyond human comprehension. And so when we talk about a wonderful counselor, we're talking about a ruler that's just greater than anyone that this world has ever seen. One that it would exceed even our highest expectations and would be able to rule perfectly and justly, unlike, unlike anything we've seen. Um, I don't need to dig into the politics of today to understand how wonderful that sounds, right? No matter what, uh, no matter who we have um, in this world, it'll be nothing compared to who God will, uh, how God will rule in his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. Second, it says that we have a mighty God. Uh, and, and we know that this is not just some mere human because because nobody in Israel would take on the name Mighty God if they weren't God himself, right? That was such a, uh, a title that would not be attributed to any mere human, but it must be God himself. And Mighty God describes this, not just a God, not just any of these other gods of these other countries, but, but a mighty, powerful God, one who is creator and ruler over all creation, the one true God of Israel. And he was mighty because, and he could protect and save his people. See, it's great to worship a God, but if he can't save us, then what good is that? That's why it's important that we recognize that Jesus is a mighty God. He is a powerful God, and he is able to save us. Not only is he a mighty God, but he is the eternal Father. His reign will never end. It will last for all eternity. But he's also a caring and loving God. He's mighty, he's powerful, he's able to save us. He's the creator of the whole universe, but he's also loving like a father who takes care of his children, who shows compassion to his people. See, it's so important to have both of those things. It's important to have a powerful, mighty creator God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heavenly armies, who loves and cares for his people. See why it's so important to have both of those things. He is the creator of the universe, but yet he also cares enough to save us from our sin cares enough to be in a relationship with his creation. And finally, the the word we are looking at today is peace. He will also be the prince of peace. He will bring an end to conflict and war and strife and hardship because he will put an end to sin. See, all of the things in the world today that we want to avoid, right? All those things that we see on the news that we can't, that that just makes us sick, those are all a result and consequence of sin, and so when God comes and, and establishes his kingdom, and when sin and death and shame are finally destroyed, all of those things will be gone too. And his kingdom will be a kingdom of peace and, and prosperity and joy and, and contentment. And as the Prince of Peace, he will be that perfect ruler who will establish that and, and will help administer the benefits of those peace. We'll be able to enjoy that. We'll be able to enjoy that forever through him. And we also see not only what this new king will be like, but also what his kingdom will be like. It will be everlasting. It will see no end. Right? I said before, even the best of Israel's kings eventually died, and a new ruler would take their place. But with Jesus, as he is king of kings and lord of lords, that kingdom will never come to an end. And it's characterized by God's justice and righteousness. See, that's 
So much of the injustice we see in the world, as I mentioned, is, our, is a result of sin. And so, so if the sin, if all of that has been taken care of, all that's left is God's character, his joy, his love, his righteousness, his peace, his holiness. And so that's what his kingdom will be characterized by, and that's what we'll be able to enjoy forever, because that's who God is. And that's, how, and that's um, who will be in charge, and so we'll be able to enjoy that. But as we know from Jesus' life, things didn't work out the way we expected them to and the way Israel expected them to. When Jesus was arrested and was being interrogated by Pilate, he said his kingdom was not of this world. You see, so much of Israel's expectations were wrapped up in this kingdom and this idea of a king who would come to reign. And so when they expected the Messiah to come, they expected him to set up his throne in Jerusalem, to kick all the Romans out, and, and there would be peace in Jerusalem and Israel, and they would no longer be subject to these foreign powers like they had for so many years. Even his disciples expected that. They expected a conquering king to ride in on a white horse and defeat their enemies. But instead of being crowned with a royal crown, he was crowned with the crown of thorns. They expected him to establish his throne, but it was through his death and his resurrection that he established his kingdom and won, won the victory over sin. Because in order for his kingdom to be established for his people, the sin problem needed to be taken care of and needed to be dealt with. See, God did not want to set up a kingdom full of sinners, still separated from him. Remember this analogy. There was this gap between us and God, what had separated us from him. So Jesus could have come and could have established his kingdom and could have done all of that without dying on the cross. But in doing so, they, none of us would be able to be a part of it because our sins separated us from God. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness as he began his ministry, one of the temptations was to bow down and worship the enemy. And in doing so, he would receive all the kingdoms of the world. That would have been establishing the kingdom without dealing with the sin problem. See, in order for God's kingdom to be there, in order for us to be a part of it, that sin problem needed to be dealt with. And it was dealt with through his death and his resurrection. Our Lord, our King, the one who we rebelled against, paid the price for our sin. That's what brought us peace. There's a few passages I want to just read for you because I think um, more so than anything else, these will just paint a picture of what Christ did for us on the cross. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of, I think, my, my favorite passages in all of the Bible, 
in the description of what it, the description of what Christ has done for us. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view that we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has commanded, uh, committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be our sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, was He took care of that sin problem. He destroyed, He took all that sin upon Jesus on the cross. And in doing so, He paid the punishment for our sins so that we no longer have to be separated from Him, but we can once again be with God, just as Adam and Eve were in the garden. That doesn't mean we quit sinning, right? We continue to make mistakes, we continue to fall short. But Christ has paid the punishment, He has paid the price for our sins so that in him we can be we can have the righteousness of god and we can be a part of his kingdom and we can experience his peace and so in order to experience the peace with god that jesus offers to each one of us we need to experience his forgiveness we need to make him lord of our own lives think of as we as we think of the christmas story and and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men who came these wise men they were kings from the east who came and and bowed down and worshiped this newborn king they recognized him for who he was and they gave him and worshiped gave him gifts and worshiped him and and we need to do the same for you it may be the first time you've not made that decision you've not realized the 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 gravity of your sin and, and and the need for forgiveness Realize that even despite our best efforts, without him, we're still separated from God. Some of you may, may know that, may have already experienced that forgiveness, but, but we continue to turn our back on him and to continue to walk away from him. And, and so maybe we need to recommit ourselves to Christ during this time of year. Whatever situation you're in, I encourage you to, to think of that as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the peace that God offers to each one of us through Christ. He, he desires that we respond to that for the first time or, or over and over again as the need be. Because I know we're never so spiritually mature that we don't need to respond to his grace. We're never so far along in our relationship with him that we don't need his forgiveness. And so... The easy way I, I like to think of it is three parts. We say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have rebelled against you. I'm sorry that I sometimes act out of the wrong motivations. I'm sorry that sometimes I simply just miss the mark and I don't live up to your will and what you desire from me. So you say you're sorry to God. Then you say thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for getting rid of the, the sin that separates me from you. And allowing me to again be in a relationship with you. And then third, help me. Help me to live a life now that honors you. Help me to live according to your will the best that I can. 
and empower me by your Holy Spirit to, to do that the best I can by your power. It's as simple as that. It's nothing complicated. But I encourage you as we pray uh, and close out our service, I encourage you if you need to make that commitment to do so today. If you've never done it, do it. And if you need to recommit yourself, if you need to make that, that, that uh, turn, turn back towards him and, and recommit yourself, do that as well. But it's an opportunity this time of year at Christmas to remember all that Christ did for us and that through him we can have peace with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word and share about the peace that you bring to each one of us through your son, Jesus Christ. As we celebrate his birth, we also acknowledge what that means, that the King of kings and Lord of lords came to this world in order to save his people, in order to destroy the sin that separates us from you. So, Lord, we thank you. We're sorry, Lord, for the ways that we've fallen short. We're sorry for how we have sinned in our lives. We thank you for dying on the cross for us. We thank you for coming to this world in order to save us. And, Lord, we are asking for your help to, from this day forward to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you by the power of your Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let's stand and sing the first verse of number 133, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the first verse. of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.